Well, good morning. I'm Adam, I'm a discipleship pastor, and we're in week three of a four-week series called The End of Me, and there's been a couple really big ideas that we've really been coming around. One of me is that the end of me is where God shows up most powerfully in my life. We're spending four weeks to come around this big idea because it's an incredibly simple idea to hear and understand, but it's profoundly difficult to live out because, as Mike said in the first week, me likes me. And me doesn't want to reach the end of me. And this is complicated even more because, as we've said over and over again in this series, sometimes the life that Jesus calls us to is not just countercultural, but counterintuitive. So it's not just that I like the way that I do things, it's that sometimes the things that Jesus has for us and the things that he calls us to are counterintuitive to what we would say are logical or right. He calls us to find wealth in our poverty, to find healing in our brokenness, and to be filled up by emptying ourselves. What? Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's delivering these counterintuitive truths, and he gets to the one that we'll spend the rest of the day trying to get our lives around. And in Matthew 5, 5 and 6, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What he's saying here is that as you give up your ascension of conquest, you'll gain the world. And as you make yourself hungry for the right things, then you'll be filled. He knew, even then, that we would allow our hunger to convince us to settle for less. As a child... I loved hot dogs. I still like hot dogs, but I don't like love hot dogs like I did back then, you know? Um, and one time I was at a Chinese restaurant and I knew what I wanted, and so I tried to order two hot dogs. And the waitress looked at me like I was a crazy person. I still think I should have been able to get those. Uh, but one day I was home alone because my mom was grocery shopping, which is an important detail to hold on to. But I was home alone, and it was around lunchtime, and, and I was getting hungry. You know, I was a growing young man, and my stomach was like, hey, it's time, man. Let's, let's make something happen. So I went to the fridge, and my mom was at the grocery store, so there wasn't a lot there. But there was a, a whole pack of hot dogs. I was like, oh, nice blessings, you know? And so I got the hot dogs out and I knew because I was a smart kid that like, um, I wanted hot dogs with with hot dog buns. And so I went to look for buns. There were no buns. And I was like, oh man, no buns. These aren't going to be as filling. So I was like, okay, I'll double up my hot dog order when I'm at home. So instead of my standard three, I was like, I'll just have six. You know, and so I put six hot dogs on the plate and I cut them up because I was going to make dippers while I watched uh, SportsCenter because that's how I roll. I don't know. I catch up hot dog on a plate, whatever. And I was putting the last two in there and I was like, this is silly. Who saves two hot dogs? And that's how I ended up with a whole pack of hot dogs on the plate. I made them and I, I sat down with my plate of hot dogs and I was dipping them, eating Sports Center. And uh, eating hot dogs is like going down a slide for me. If there's a hot dog on the plate, you're not done with the experience, you know? And so I was just like zoned out eating. And then all of a sudden I realized there's no more bits of hot dog on here. I just ate a whole pack of hot dogs with ketchup. 
That is sodium and vinegar. Like that's all that is, that whole meal. And I ate it all. And now I'm not stupid, which I probably have to tell you after the previous story. But I knew right away I was in big trouble. Because I was like, I, I, I stood up to take my plate to the thing. And I was like, oh, I'm full now. Like uncomfortable, you know. And so I stood up and I was like, oh, this is not good. And as I was putting the dish back in the plate, my mom walked in with groceries. And she had all kinds of stuff, you know. She had hot dog buns. She had, you know, vegetables and fruit and things like that. And I was like, oh. And uh, the, the fact that this was a problem was confirmed about an hour later when a whole pack of hot dogs made a return trip into the world. And I was so sick for a whole day. I, uh, I settled for less because I was starving. And I had high hopes in my life. High hopes that my son Cohen wouldn't uh, follow in my footsteps in this regard. But just this past week, we, had got, we got canes. And I was trying to get him to eat his chicken nuggets. I said, hey, bud, take a bite of chicken. He said, as grown up as possible for a three-year-old, he said, no, thanks, Dad. I'll just have bread and ketchup. All right, well, <laughs> apple doesn't fall far from the tree, you know. <laughs> Let's just say that sometimes we don't make the best decisions when it comes to filling ourselves up. Like I said, I let hunger convince me that there was some sort of wisdom in filling up on leftover ground-up meat tubes and ketchup. When if I would have just stayed hungry a little bit longer, I could have had an incredible meal. I just needed to wait a little bit longer. And this is what Jesus is getting at in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. If you could let go of control, you could gain everything. If you would stop filling yourselves up on the wrong things, your hunger will allow you to be filled up with the right things. But before you can be filled up by God, you need to be emptied of you. And coming to the end of me and being emptied of ourselves happens in one of two ways. Either we're emptied or we choose to empty ourselves. What I'm saying is either life does the emptying or we choose to do it first. But in either case, there will be an emptying of me. And when that happens, there can be a filling by God. God loves to fill empty things. And when he does, he does it perfectly. And when everything the world offers is gone and leaves you unsatisfied or never comes in the first place, God is waiting just like he always was to fill you up to change your course, and to send you out. In Matthew, Jesus is telling us that this is how we should treat our souls. Jesus is saying, your work is to empty yourselves. And his work is to fill you up. And too often we think our work is to fill ourselves up and we get soul sick filling up on the wrong things. He's saying stay hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for purpose, for hope, because he can deliver on those things. But you need to come to him empty because imitation solutions to soul hunger just leave you feeling sick. Fame won't fill your soul. A promotion won't fill your soul. A lifetime goal achieved won't fill your soul. Finding a spouse won't fill your soul. Having children, buying a dream house, none of that will fill your soul. And not all of those things, in fact, none of those things are bad things. They just won't fill your soul. Empty yourself of these temporary things so that you can have the right thing first. And then those other things can come back in and we put them in order 
But when we put our hope of a full life in things that are temporary, you get soul sick. You feel full for a moment, but it doesn't last because it's not the right thing at the foundation. Everything that the world could offer in any measure couldn't possibly compare to the life that Jesus has for you, even in fractions. But you have to go all in and let your life be constructed from the bottom up with Jesus at the center and at the foundation. In Acts, as the church grows, we read the story of a man named Saul who becomes Paul who was systematically destroying Christians. He was doing everything in his power to kill off this upstart religion of Christianity, and he was succeeding. And he was rising in the ranks and getting promotion after promotion, but Jesus was going to change his course forever. If you don't know anything about Paul, here are a few highlights. He... uh, he was named Saul before his conversion, um, and so I'll call him Paul every time. But Paul was a well-educated man from an influential city on the rise, the city of Tarsus. He grew up in an economically booming city. He had access to the greatest education. He studied under a rabbi. He was smart and influential, and he didn't like this rebellion that was upsetting the way of things that he was very, very successful in. And so he worked to put down these rebels. And he murdered and persecuted Christians. And that's where we pick up in the story of Paul. He had just looked on the murder of a Christian approvingly when we pick up in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, while Saul was still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest And he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way being Christianity, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul were speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. Paul reached the end of himself pretty dramatically. I love how Paul initially responds, who are you, Lord? He knew in an instant that whatever it was that knocked him down was bigger and more powerful than himself. But those words are empty unless he does what Jesus says. And Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go to the city and do what you're told. Paul recognized that he had reached the end of me. And he, so he went where Jesus told him to go. I think about this story a lot when it comes to my own pursuit of Jesus. I look at Paul, a man who's actively killing and persecuting everything that has to do with Christianity. He has this experience with Jesus, and then in an instant he recognizes his lordship. Paul was a powerful, influential man, but still he listened and obeyed and in an instant gave up everything that he had been pursuing for his whole life. Paul's encounter, pretty dramatic, a bright light, a loud voice, specific directions. I don't know about you, but I know in my life I've never encountered Jesus quite like that. 
but we do encounter Jesus. At some point in the journey to the end of me, we will come face to face with Jesus, whether you literally see him and hear him or not. Every empty-to-be-filled story begins here. Either way, you meet Jesus because you had nowhere else to turn. Or you meet Jesus because you were turning everywhere else and still you were left unsatisfied. For whatever reason you encounter him, Jesus is the beginning of the end of me. And that is a very good thing. And if you follow his directions from there, it will be the beginning of life. Because Paul, after his encounter, he went on to establish the church. He wrote most of the New Testament, if you didn't know. He helped organize the first followers of Jesus into churches who could work to further the mission and work of Christ on earth as they worked together with all of their resources to go out and change city by city. He orchestrated through his discipleship the key church leaders and his letters helped the growth of the church as we know it today. And it still helps us as we try to organize our church today. He had everything the world could offer. And he traded it for the mission and ministry that Christ called him to. Which, consequently, also led him to be beaten, shipwrecked, homeless, and imprisoned. But he never once felt empty. In fact, he doubles down as he writes these letters. He doubles down and clarifies that this life that he has with Christ is better than anything else. And in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6, he says this. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He's taking a long time to say, I had everything. I had wealth and fame, the corner office, all the accolades. I was a wealthy man born to the right family at the right time, doing the right job for the right people. You weren't better than me. But he goes on to say in Philippians 3, 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of the cross. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of the cross in this life that Jesus has for me. Paul reaches the end of himself. He follows Jesus, and it leads him to a completely different course, and he never once hesitates. He calls us, he calls everything he had before Christ garbage. He says that all of these things were trash compared to the life that Jesus has for us. And so how do we do this today? Because we're probably not going to be knocked off by a bright light with a booming voice that makes us rethink our priorities. But what does it look like to consider everything we have as lost for the sake of the cross? Does it mean that you're supposed to quit your job and sell your house and leave your family and go out to the mission field? No. Some of you might be ignoring a call to go out to the mission field. A few of you. But for most of us, our mission field is right where we are right now if we just put the right things at the foundation. 
It means allowing what you have to be used by God through you. It means opening your house to a small group so that together you can unpack what life looks like. Not just study the information that the Bible has in it, but live transformed together by the life that Scripture outlines. It means holding all things in your life with open hands, saying to God, all I have is yours. Take it and do whatever you want with it. Every day, taking one more step to the life that Jesus has for you and that he's calling you to. It means seeking to serve your spouse or your children instead of putting unspoken pressure on them to fill you up. Let Jesus fill you up so that you can take care of them and others. It means dying to selfishness each day so that you and I can hold others in higher regard than ourselves. It means serving one another. Imagine if you went to work tomorrow with the main goal of honoring God with the effort you put in and serving those in your workplace. You might start to change the culture of your work environment because I don't know if there are that many people going to work with that as the goal. Not self-gain or promotion, but how can I be helpful here? How can I serve the people around me when we choose things like joy in the midst of chaos at work and in our homes, serving instead of uh, serving self? People start to take notice, and Jesus starts to become more and more evident in your life. But you have to empty yourself so that Jesus can cultivate in you what's necessary for the work that he wants to do through you. As we empty ourselves and we stay hungry for the right things, Jesus is faithful to fill us up. Don't settle for a plate of hot dogs when steak is on the way. One takes a little longer to prepare, but it's worth the wait. And it's worth staying hungry for a little while longer. After Paul's blindness is taken away, and he's baptized in this new way of following Jesus, he spends a little bit of time talking to his believers about being filled up. After that, he immediately begins to preach about Jesus. Paul's not just emptied of his past and left alone. He's not just taking out the trash and then sitting around hoping he doesn't accidentally find more trash. Paul gets filled up with the mission of Jesus, and then he goes and he does it. Jesus fills you up, and he fills you for a purpose. It may feel like you've been empty for so long that Jesus has forgotten you. It may feel like you're too empty and Jesus won't fill you, but he knows your name and he has a plan for you. And he's waiting to send you out to live for him, filled by his power and his grace. And so, Never give up. Never give up, no matter how empty you feel, no matter how long it's been, no matter how far you've run, no matter how much of me has taken over, never give up. Because God hasn't given up on you. Too often in life, we hold on to the things that we have in life so tight-handed and so close-armed that we can't have what God has for us just waiting. I remember on Cohen's birthday. We had gotten him all these things and we saved the big toy for the end. It was like his second birthday, I think. And we got him one of those drive driver, like Jeep cars that you can drive in the backyard. He's two. And so he shouldn't have had that, but like the family got together and he just drove it into the fence over and over and over again, you know? Uh, 
But he, he had gotten this haul because he was a two-year-old and, and grandparents like to spoil their grandkids. And so he was holding on to all these toys. And they're like, okay, buddy, come outside. We have a surprise for you. And he didn't even hesitate. He just went, oh, a surprise? And he ran outside because he trusted that we had something better for him. And that we wouldn't be asking him to leave something here if there wasn't something over there. And God is saying to us as we're holding on to these things in our life that were meant to be good, but we're putting them first. He's saying to us, I have something better for you. We're saying, like, well, maybe tell me what the surprise is first. You know, like I'll then I'll decide if I should go out in the backyard. You know, just let go. Because you have to be empty to be filled. You have to rid yourself. Your work is to empty yourself and God's work is to fill yourself back up. And he is faithful to do what he promises he will do. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. For you will be filled. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are blown away thankful that you are good that you are sure and you're true to your word. And so God, as we lean in on you and we trust you more completely, we pray that you would give us the courage to let go. We pray that you would give us the courage to trust you even more to fill us back up. So God, we love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We are going to get ready to go into a time of communion. And communion is a time to remember what Christ has done for us, the work that he did on the cross. But it's also a time to commit. It's time to remember where the power lies and what our life is for. And so as we remember the work that was accomplished on the cross, the promise of eternal life, but also the promise of real life here and now, can we just be thankful for what Christ did for us on the cross and commit to living more open-handed in the meantime? You don't have to go quit your job. You just need to go to your job with a different purpose, to be Jesus's people and to show the world that Jesus is about redemption and reconciliation and hope. Can you commit to that? You commit to going and serving your family instead of expecting to be served by your family because that right there, just that simple decision might stop 90% of the arguments that happen in our homes week after week. If we just all went together looking to serve one another, if we all one anothered one another, everybody would be taken care of, but we all want to be taken care of. And Jesus is like, I'm doing it. <laughs> Just let go and let me take care of you and then you go take care of someone else. If more and more Jesus followers committed to that each Sunday and each day, more people will be taken care of and you yourself would also be filled. So can we just remember where the power lies? Who's the one that does the filling and who's the one that's just supposed to stay hungry? We're supposed to stay hungry. So as we take the bread, which represents a broken body, and we take the juice, which represents the bloodshed. Can you just remember that as you eat these things, it's a physical reminder that Jesus is what fills us up. Nothing else 
not whatever plans you have for lunch today, not whatever job you're going to tomorrow, not whatever spouse you're sitting, whoever, whatever spouse you're sitting next to or the children you have in the elementary wing, Jesus fills you up. And he calls us to selfless lives. We pray with him one more time before we take communion. God, give us the courage to commit. Give us the courage to be your people. If we could all start together to start taking care of one another, no one would be left out. But it takes all of us leaning in together so that no one's left out. God, move us and stir us. It's your sense of